0: Welcome back to FinCast, the Financial Integrity Network's podcast series. My name is Juan Zarati, chairman of the Financial Integrity Network. We're very pleased to be producing this podcast along with the Center for Strategic and International Studies, America's program, the 35 West podcast series. Um, We are very happy to be back with you talking today about Venezuela and the state of the sanctions regime and frankly, the future of the Maduro regime. Uh, We've got three of the world's best experts, great friends of mine here today with us. Uh, with us from the Americas program, the associate director and associate fellow for that program here at CSIS is Moises Rendon. Moises, one of the great young scholars in the space, will certainly uh, give us the state of play and help us understand what's happening. With us as well is Dave Murray, a colleague of mine from Finn, who is the Vice President for Product Development and Services, one of the great minds who's come out of Treasury in recent years, Uh, who knows everything there is to know about sanctions and will talk us through the state of the sanctions regime. And last, but certainly not least, my good friend from whom you've heard before, Jose Luis Stein, Finn's vice president for Latin America and the Caribbean, uh, one of the great uh, anti-money laundering experts in the world, uh, former Mexican banking regulator, uh, and now uh, private sector um, star uh, extraordinaire for Finn. so, welcome. We're, we're going to talk today about the state of sanctions in Venezuela, where we see things going, frankly, the growing complexity, not just in the landscape uh, on the ground in Caracas, but also um, how the region is thinking about uh, the use of sanctions and the sanctions regime, and certainly what the U.S. is doing to press more aggressively. So, let's start, Moises. Let's start with you. Let's Let's give the listeners a sense of where things stand in Venezuela uh, in terms of the politics, in terms of uh, the social situation, and certainly the economy.
1: Sure. No, thank you, Juan, for the invitation. I'm very pleased to be here. Um, Venezuela is going through an unprecedented, human-made crisis. And this is not new. This has been going for a long time now. And this has really started with former president Hugo Chavez. And the regime in Venezuela started implementing what they call uh, socialism of the 21st century policies that really start tightening social controls tools, the economy, the social structures, institutions. And now the consequences, the results, is what we're seeing today, a country that is collapsed, that people are going through a humanitarian crisis that we have never seen before in the region. There is food and shortage, Hyperinflation is going up to 18,000 percent based on latest updates from the IMF, and this is a country that is also producing a unprecedented regional refugee crisis. A neighboring co- countries like Colombia and Brazil are facing um, a flow of migration up to 40 to 50,000. Venezuelans are crossing every day to Colombia, for example. About 5,000 are staying every day in Colombia. Most of them are going back to Venezuela. But that that you can see there where these crises have been produced and, and where, where the country is right now. Right now, it's a, it's a failed state country that is ruled by a regime that is involved in narco-trafficking, in human rights abuse, uh, abuses, so um, it's, it's, it's unfortunately to see a sophisticated, former sophisticated country in this stage now, and that's that's why this type of discussion and sanctions is important because that's that's how we can uh, figure out how to help this country that is only going to um, get worse under the uh, current cir- circumstances. Yeah, and and you lay
0: out what is a, a very bleak picture. You look at all the health indicators, the the, the obviously inflation rate, the refugee numbers. Um, it's it's a tragedy, obviously. And and having seen what Venezuela once was in terms of a beacon of democracy and economic strength, um, obviously with foibles and, and problems in the past, but to see where it is now. To have numbers that compare even to numbers out of Syria, for exactly. example, yes. in terms of mortality, infant mortality and, and refugee flows is is just remarkable. Sanctions is interesting because in the context of sanctions, the U.S. for a number of years, especially when I was at Treasury and at the White House, um, didn't impose sanctions aggressively against the Chavez regime. In fact, uh, had a policy of holding back uh, so as not to give the regime an excuse to blame the United States for uh, their mismanagement or economic woes. Uh, but what you've seen in, in recent years, especially the last uh, year and a half in, under the Trump administration, has been a much more aggressive use of sanctions to try to punish the regime, to try to isolate it, to try to ensure that it doesn't have access to, to capital, uh, and to a certain extent to try to condition the environment for what may be a post-Maduro sort of scenario uh, to try to make sure that the the wealth of the country isn't stolen uh, by the regime. So I think you you have seen all, all the ills that you described, the human rights violations, the uh, drug trafficking, uh, the corruption have all now translated into elements of a sanctions regime, which is much more aggressive uh, and, and that the administration has been enforcing uh, more so than at any point in, in in recent memory. So with that, Dave, I want to turn to you to maybe give the listeners a, a thumbnail sketch of what that sanctions regime looks like and what some of the recent measures have meant for U.S. sanctions policy.
2: Yeah, thanks, Juan, and thanks for having me here today. Uh, you know, the Venezuela program started with the designation of some key officials, and then last August it really transformed uh, into a into a regime change program. Uh, you saw the Treasury Department target Venezuela's key source of, of economic growth, Paysa, uh, by banning trading in debt with a maturity of greater than 90 days. You saw Treasury ban the trading of sovereign debt with a maturity of greater than 30 days. You saw Treasury ban the trading of existing sovereign debt, which in practice meant only a, a bond or two. Uh, you saw Treasury ban the payment of dividends to the government of Venezuela or any entity owned or controlled by the government of Venezuela. And you saw the Treasury Department ban the trading of securities from the government of Venezuela other than securities that are that are covered by prohibitions one and two.
0: That, that everything you just described, suggests a, uh, an attempt to constrict access to capital, right?
2: Absolutely, uh, you know, I mean, really trying to, really trying to starve the regime of, of capital. Um, it, well, you know, also pre- I think importantly, preserving the value of state assets, um, because for a successor regime, it's going to be very important for a successor regime to have a functional Sitgo, And the U.S. government was very careful to carve Sitgo out. I mean, of course, there are U.S. interests here. I mean, it's important for the U.S. to have a functional Sitgo as well, because that's a lot of domestic refining capacity. Um, but it's also very important to a successor regime to have a functional Sitgo.
0: Yeah. Um, and Dave, just just for listeners who may not be as savvy uh, in terms of PETAVESA and its interests, it's good for them to know that Pedavesa which is the the Venezuelan oil company owns and controls uh, Citgo which is uh, an, an operating oil and gas company in the United States you know famously with its sign uh, emblazoned over uh, the green monster in Fenway Park in Boston right so uh, to your point Sitco Citco is present in the US economy and has to be taken into account
2: That's right I mean it's important to both countries. Uh, and you know, I mean, it, it, there was there was clearly concern when they talked when they announced these sanctions. They talked about preventing asset stripping and they talked about protecting Sico in particular. Uh, so really, a very smart deployment of sanctions, both to constrict the Venezuelan government, but also to preserve the value of the value of important assets for a successor regime, uh, so that they would they they would be digging out of a slightly shallower hole than they would otherwise. It, you know, this year um, you saw Treasury first ban the trading of um, of Venezuela's cryptocurrency. Uh, the Petro. The Petro. Um, I'm very skeptical of the Petro. Um, As are it, many people. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, they, it, it clearly looked like it looked like an attempt at a cash grab from from unsophisticated. Investors who were chasing cryptocurrencies, right?
0: And Maduro labeled it sort of a, an attempt to evade sanctions and get out from under the, the pressure that you have described.
2: Right, right. Um, so Treasury smartly banned the trading in that earlier. Well, last month now, um, in mid-April, you really saw a transformation in this in this program and in this pressure campaign, because where you you had had Treasury moving very aggressively in the in the sanctions lane and putting out an advisory with respect to with respect to money laundering by the Venezuelan regime last October it you know it was still very much a us effort and a and a us centric effort last month you saw treasury to, do two very significant things one is it issued that it reissued that advisory in spanish that obviously wasn't for the US financial institutions, they already, had the, they already had the advisory. That was for financial institutions in the region to better equip them to, to find Venezuelan money and particularly the corruption proceeds. But you also had Treasury uh, get together with 15 other countries to make a concerted effort to share information and to work collaboratively against Venezuelan corruption and, and money laundering. It's a good set of countries, it's a really good set of countries and it, you know it really takes the it really takes the pressure campaign into a different place because you look around the world sanctions regimes are underdeveloped in comparison to the United States the AML regimes are much more developed it's a much more it's a much more potent weapon when you can activate it and it moves you from a it moves moves you from a political space because sanctions even when they're conduct based and even when they're when they're targeting reprehensible conduct that there's still a that there's still a political nucleus there mm-hmm. that that can make getting collaboration cooperation difficult with the AML regime you're working against a, a set of internationally agreed upon norms and you're you're working in a in a very sophisticated and very well developed legal regime where banks have very clear responsibilities to detect and report right. and you know where there's been a where, where there's been a decades long effort to build capacity on the law enforcement and investigative side to arrest money launderers and to forfeit assets. And I I think that's going to be really important in constricting the regime.
0: Yeah, and this is a critical point, in part because I think you've seen actions by financial institutions as well as governments like in Panama to list and to sanction as a result of these efforts. But to your point, this is an effort by the Treasury Department not only to impose sanctions of the types that we're, we're used to seeing targeted sanctions on individuals, for example, but also to create a sense of a heightened risk environment tied to the money laundering uh, concerns and the corruption concerns which um, you know for for the the listeners who listen to our podcast understand have uh, global impact regardless of the progenitor of those those, uh, risk factors Um, I'm going to come back to you Dave because I do want to talk about what this suggests about where the sanctions regimes headed because what you have are different traits of different sanctions regimes being embedded and used in the Venezuelan context, which I think is important for our listeners to understand. But Jose Luis, I wanna come to you and get your insights as to kind of how sanctions are playing out in Venezuela, what kind of the regional reaction looks like and and what more maybe we can expect um, or should expect from sanctions.
3: Thanks Juan, Moises and Dave. Uh, What has been said before is very interesting. First, on the context, to remind us all of the situation that the Venezuelan people are, are living and have been living over the past years, uh, and to understand from Dave which are the tools that the U.S. has developed to uh, first uh, go against corrupt officials from the Venezuelan regime through designations, targeted designations of persons, persons and entities and second on weakening the maduro regime through uh, constraining its access to to public debt and and its uh, most important company pdvsa being able to finance itself in 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 the us market at least so these are very powerful tools very important creative tools uh, however there is a natural question which is how how effective are they Or how can they be more effective? And obviously, the U.S. is the most important financial market, but it's not the only one. And if the goal is to preserve the assets from the Venezuelan people that have been extracted by corrupt officials, my first question would be, are these corrupt officials investing in the U.S.? Do they keep their real estate in the US? Do they have their bank accounts in the US? Probably the response is no or not substantially. So that would lead us to ask in which jurisdictions, in which countries are they keeping their assets and whether those countries are also implementing the US-Venezuela sanctions regime. Unfortunately, the response will most probably be that these other countries are not implementing the US sanctions regime. Uh, so there, there is a big space obviously of improvement for making the, the, this program uh, more effective. And we have to seek, or anyone that's interested in the matter has to seek how to how to engage these other nations. Uh, second, Venezuela can also acquire public debt uh, from bonds offered in other financial markets. So again, there's a big gap there uh, with the U.S. sanctions program. How, how how can we reach out or how can U.S. authorities and other interested parties reach out to other relevant jurisdictions, uh, including those in Latin America and any other key uh, country to, to make them involved, to get them involved in, in implementing the U.S. sanctions regime? Uh, I can think of number of ways. One, one is the need for U.S. authorities to publish hard data on, on the assets that have been identified and frozen or confiscated in the U.S. As of today, there's no public data, and that, therefore, uh, does not allow the public in general, including authorities from other countries, to understand the relevance and the impact of this program and we've heard that
0: complaint from journalists and authorities that there's just isn't enough information that more information has to be put out dave's point about the spanish language version of the fincen advisory is a good good example of an attempt to sort of uh, make it more
3: accessible but but your point is more concrete data more evidence the problem here is and and dave's example is great and i, I think it's a it's a great attempt uh, from fincen to reach out uh to Latin American jurisdictions and explain them which are the red flags or the indicators that they should be taking into account. But the problem is that there first has to be a political will at the highest levels from both both public and private sector in those other jurisdictions to get to the to the to the uh, operational part of this matter, which is what FinCEN covers in its advisory. Uh, To get that political will, uh, again, I I think that a key step is to to make it clear which is the impact of those sanctions, why they're important, and what they can achieve. Uh, Second, from from the foreign country side, from the non-U.S. country side, uh, there can also be actions taken, obviously. Foreign countries that are interested in fighting corruption in the region, and specifically in Venezuela, or that do not support the current Maduro administration, should definitely consider implementing the U.S.-Venezuela sanctions program. Uh, For countries, specifically in Latin America, this has been an issue uh, uh, mostly because of their civil law uh, type legislation, which requires that any person or his or her property cannot be affected without the previous judicial process. It will be difficult to change the regulation in these countries, but there can be some creative solutions. And I believe the Mexico case provides an example. A few years ago, the Mexican Banking Association and its bank members decided to voluntarily Consider the OFAC list within its compliance framework, within its financial crimes compliance framework, and they now run the OFAC list, which includes targeted designations on the Venezuela program, and and have to react if there's any findings. They react by uh, freezing and uh, closing the the accounts and reporting to to the the country's financial intelligence unit. So so that's an example of how sometimes, uh, and perhaps this can be the way forward, the solution or the embracing of this program might not come from the authorities, but actually the private sector in in, in different jurisdictions.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's a proactive, preventative private sector approach that gets to the risk management issues that, that Dave was talking about. Jose, Jose Luis, that's very helpful. Moises, I want, to, I want to turn back to you um, on two fronts. One is, and maybe it's where we should have started, but it's, it's it's raised in what all three of you have said, which is what is the purpose of these sanctions at this point? We, I think we have a sense of it, but but from your perspective, I want to hear from all three of you. What do you think we're trying to achieve with these sanctions? Because sanctions can try to achieve lots of different things, but if there isn't clarity as to what we're trying to achieve, uh, can often be seen as just a tactical measure, or frankly, can create a whole host of negative externalities if 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 we're not careful about what the sanctions are trying to do. So, w- from your perspective, what do sanctions do, or what are we trying to see uh, achieved with with the sanctions regime?
1: Basically, sanctions are their main objective is to increase pressure on the Maduro regime, and the question comes back to what my colleagues are been discussing how effective they are and, and if it's actually making some effect within the Bandura regime. And I agree with Jose, releasing bank information, how much money has been stolen, how much assets are have been stolen from the Venezuelan people is key, is important, and that needs to happen. Multilateral actions will make sanctions more effective, of course, but there are two more things that I think it will improve the sanction program from the U.S. One and is this not only for the sanction policy, but also more broadly, which improve the communication, the strategic communication between the U.S. government and the Venezuelan people. You in Venezuela have very restricted media. There's really not free media in Venezuela, so the people are really limited when it when it comes to act, to information access. So the U.S. government has to do a little bit of a better job to to make sure that the Venezuelan people understand why there is a sanction program in place, why are we doing this, and with what objective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that way, the Venezuelan people really uh, understand a little bit better. On, on the other front is um, announce, announcing the sanctions in advance will also help. Uh, and we have discussed this before. The threat of sanction uh, has been proven to be effective in some cases, and I think in the Venezuelan case specifically, Specifically, with military officials, can produce some positive change. However, sanctions is just one bullet, and when it comes to Venezuela, there is not really a silver bullet that can resolve this crisis. And so, you really need a more comprehensive, more broad approach to increase that pressure on the Maduro regime.
0: Yeah, and, and I think you know what what you've just articulated is a mantra that we have, which is sanctions, financial measures have to all fit into a broader strategy, have to be seen as um, part of a whole set of tools and can be both a driver for the policy, which in some ways it seems like it is for Venezuela, but also a catalyst or a complement to other uh, authorities and capabilities, information tactics, even some would call it information warfare or influence campaigns, Uh, in addition to economic... Uh, incentives and uh, political and diplomatic measures and, and, and all the rest. And so uh, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Dave, from your perspective, as the sanctions have evolved, because y- you have certainly a series of conduct-based sanctions that have been applied, right? Uh, drug trafficking, corruption, human rights violations. You have the restrictions that you describe so neatly and well that look a lot like the Russia program uh, on uh, restrictions on debt and equity. And then you've got some of the AML measures, including some of the enforcement measures recently from the Department of Justice. Um, from your perspective, what does that tableau look like overall, and what are we trying to achieve with all of this?
2: So the the Vice President, when he was at the Summit of the Americas, talked in terms of isolating the Venezuelan regime. Uh, and it, it, you know, I mean, I think one thing about Venezuela is clear, which is that the the step forward for Venezuela only happens when the Maduro regime is no more. Uh, so you know I mean you, you think about well what are your policy options for for causing that for causing that outcome? you know, sanctions is clearly one. I mean it has to be they have to make a decision that they'd be better off not being in charge anymore and that probably means not being in Venezuela anymore than they are in Venezuela right now mm-hmm. uh, you know affecting their uh, affecting their wealth and um, affecting their golden parachutes to the to the extent that those exist I think that those things are important and that really seems to be what that really seems to be what the US government is driving at particularly in the in the latest thread and getting the in getting the global AML regime activated against the against the, uh, the Maduro regime
0: right and something something you alluded to earlier and that uh, all three of you touched on is this question of both regime change and the day after right, and this idea of preservation of wealth and institutions um, and, and what that looks like. And I think one of the interesting dimensions of the sanctions regime is there's obviously a lot of sensitivity to um, not just the political and economic effects, but the humanitarian impact and then the day after question uh, and how, how you preserve the value of a Sitco and a petovesa, which will be very important for a Venezuelan economy post-Maduro, whatever that may look like. Um, Jose Luis, can you talk a little bit about some of those considerations as we think about a sanctions regime that in many ways is is trying to change behavior by constricting capital, constricting uh, the economy in Venezuela, but realizing you obviously can't make things worse. We don't want to make things worse from a humanitarian perspective. And you also have to preserve an economy that will be able to recover at a certain point, for the the sake of the people and the and the economy and, and society of Venezuela.
3: Yeah, no, that's a very important question, and I think that's perhaps again the the, the, the main reason why other jurisdictions have not joined, uh, at least the the, the brother uh, sanctions regime on the designations. Uh, or or so, so again, there there's two components to to the sanctions program. When the targets specific specific persons and entities, most of them related to corruption, which it's easier to make a case for other other countries to to join that initiative. And the other one is restricting the country of having access to to public debt and, and other financing routes. I think the second one is 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 more difficult to to to. Sustain for several reasons. Uh, one is that yes, you want to weaken the Maduro administration, but meanwhile, uh, the, the, the the population is is being directly affected by by that lack of resources uh, uh, and that uh, uh, lowering of trade in in the country. So it, it, it's it's a tough call and and it requires a lot of thinking uh, around. The Venezuela program and any other program that follows these same lines. The second thing, which is related, and I and I would like to bring before we we finish the podcast is that again the the U.S. sanctions program for Venezuela is is targeted to weakening the Maduro administration and not to affect the Venezuelan people in general. And I don't only mean the Venezuelans in Venezuela, but the Venezuelans in the U.S. Last week, eh, both Mo- Moises and I met with a group of Venezuelan reporters, and they put on the table a very concerning issue, which is that there have been consistent complaints from the Venezuelan community, eh, most of them eh, living in, in 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 the Florida area, that they have been having problems to either open or keep their banking accounts in U.S. banks because of their sole reason of being Venezuelans. So this, this is a, a, a the risking issue, a very concerning one, because it could be sending a, a very concerning message, which is if banks, in their attempt to implement the U.S.-Venezuela sanctions program, Instead of weakening the Venezuelan current regime, they are affecting the Venezuelans which have fled from Venezuela and the Maduro regime. So it would be a, obtaining exactly the country results from what it was intended.
0: And and what you're describing is the is another example of uh, the the challenge of distinction in the context of risk management and the the consequences of de-risking. Right, sort of the blunt. Uh, dimensions of what that can look like, if if uh, banks aren't careful and if there isn't uh, distinguishing between types of customers, et cetera. So, uh, very important point. Um, Dave, let me let me come back to you before kind of a final round for for each of you. Um, when we met uh, recently uh, here at CSIS in a joint CSIS uh, Center on Sanctions and Illicit Finance event, CSIF event. A whole bunch of experts, to include the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Terrorist Financing and Financial Crimes, Marshall Billingsley, was there. Um, There was a lot of focus on oil and kind of what comes next with oil, what more can be done um, with respect to Pedavesa to try to change the Venezuelan uh, regime's behavior and calculus. What are your thoughts on that? You talked about needing to obviously— preserve the, the underlying value of PDVSA, um But how do, how do we think about oil and, the, and affecting the spigot, if you will, uh, for purposes of sanctions?
2: Well, look, I think there's no question that the US could ban the import of Venezuelan oil. Um, and they could also impose secondary sanctions on anybody around the world who, who trades in Venezuelan oil. So the, the US could effectively prevent Venezuela from, from trading oil. You know, I don't think they've I don't think they've gone there because I think that that would be that would be catastrophic in terms of the humanitarian crisis, Uh, because, you know, where does Venezuela get the money for for food at that point? Uh, you know, I think that the US government and other governments would have to be prepared to step up and and backfill and just provide just provide direct aid. That comes with all sorts of complications because you really can't provide direct aid in a country unless the country gives you permission to do that. And I'm not sure the Venezuelan government would be inclined to give such permission if we just if we had just crushed them. You know, I mean there are also economic risks to the United States of doing that. I mean, there are already inflationary pressures in our economy. If we took Venezuelan oil offline that would certainly have an impact on on world oil prices. Uh, so there are a lot of risks associated with that. It, you know, I mean back to Jose Luis's point about the about the de-risking, I mean that's a consequence of 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 activating the AML regime against this problem. Uh, but it, you know, when you think of it in terms of in terms of options and risks, that may in fact be the lowest, I think it is the lowest risk option. Uh, you know, I mean, your other options would be to start going after the government-owned, the government-owned enterprises. Well, I mean, those are the same. Those are the same companies that they're using to that they're using to import food and other critical humanitarian supplies. So, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't take much creativity to think through the consequences of that kind of action. Um, it, you know, I mean, the AML regime it always asks people to distinguish. And you know it's a natural consequence that when banks can't distinguish, they're going to make an assumption that what they have in front of them is prohibited, and they're going to get rid of it. Uh, so you know whatever the whatever the government can do, and not just the U.S. government, but all governments that are that are working together on this, to get more information out into the channel about what's bad, and you know really a great tool for this would be would be follow-on OFAC designations, uh, and to really to to really to really go at and list. The people and entities that the Venezuelan government officials are using to launder corruption proceeds, because that would get the, that would get more data out into the marketplace. And it, really, I mean, it's it's sort of like crowdsourcing, right? I mean, they push out data points and then let people let people run with them. Uh, you know, including in jurisdictions that haven't signed up for that haven't signed up for this effort yet, because I think it would be a mistake to think that just because a government hasn't signed up for this that no bank in that jurisdiction no trust and company service provider in that jurisdiction would also be unwilling to to sign up for it because the reputational risks for doing these things are are very very high and a government may have political reasons that it doesn't want to sign up publicly for an effort like this but a bank certainly has business reasons for wanting to sign up for this program and those may be different than the than the than the government's reasons and more compelling than the government's reasons for not doing it
0: yeah and to your point financial institutions uh, may have short memories, but they should remember uh, what happens when regimes fall and questions are asked about how they were handling the money of that regime or those associated with that
2: regime. Oh, no question, and I think it would—I think it would be reasonable that that at on the day when this regime falls. Um, unless they've invested very heavily in paper shredders and have been very careful to destroy all of their records. When this regime falls, there's going to be a paper trail in Caracas. And there are going to be a number of people in Caracas who have an incentive to follow that paper trail and push as much information as they can out about what was going on with the with the previous regime, because that's that, that's going to be necessary to drive some of the asset recovery issues. And, you know, the fact of the matter is it's probably also just going to feel good Uh, So I I think everyone should expect that's going to happen on the backside.
0: Yeah, and this also relates to what Moises was saying earlier about uh, some of the effects of targeted sanctions, especially against the military, and the psychological impact of that. And I think in the coming weeks, we're likely to see some distinguishing of, of sanctions, targeted sanctions, as a way of not just punishing or trying to change behavior, but also trying to... Uh, affect psychologically sort of what's happening on the ground and, and getting people to think precisely the way Dave just described. Moises, can you, um, as we sort of close uh, out this podcast, I'm going to ask all three of you sort of a forward-looking question. You're, you're talking to a lot of experts in the region. Uh, you're involved in a lot of think tank discussions, talking to reporters and, and others. What are you hearing and and seeing that worries you most? And and how do sanctions play into maybe those concerns and worries?
1: Um, Well, we have uh, presidential elections coming up in Venezuela in May 20th. Um, That's going to be another turning point, another breaking point for what is known as the Venezuelan crisis. And what is going to be the response of the international community the day after May 20th is going to be crucial. Um, but my main concern on that line is that the response needs to be strong, it needs to be consistent, it needs to be multilateral. And there are other things that the international community can do besides increasing sanctions because I, I do believe sanctions is an effective tool, but it's not the only one. And I like I liked the way how we host President Quiroga, former president of Bolivia here at CSIS, and he put it in a way that I think is 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 important to understand, which is, and he used CSIS as the acronym. So he said, we all need to implement CSIS mode. C as a charter, the Democratic Charter, the OAS. S as sanctions. I as ICC. The ICC investigations against the Maduro regime are important that continue and that actually bring it in into a result in the short term.
0: The International Criminal Court, for those listening.
1: Correct. S, S as seizures, as we were just talking, seizures of assets. And then mode, the M goes as migration. We have a migration crisis going on. Those migrants need some sort of protector status, not only in Colombia and Brazil, but other countries around the world. We have the O as oil embargo. I, I agree with my colleague, Dave, the oil embargo is not probably the good timing to do it now and it brings more suffering to the Venezuelan people and it's not on the U.S. interest either so I, I will leave that out. but D, diplomatic isolation, we need more diplomatic efforts going on and finally E as mode um, exit ramp or exit strategy for some of the government officials that are involved on, on this type of crimes, They, they there might be a strategy to find a way out and, and trying to get them out of, of the current government.
0: That's a very very creative uh, yeah. way of describing it, CSIS mode. I like yeah. that. Very,
1: very good. Yes.
0: Um, and we're going to watch the, the, the election very carefully, obviously. Jose Luis, what do you think? And, and let me ask you this. What do you think the region can do even more, in addition to the, the things you've laid out? Are there things that the IMF can do, for example, the OAS should be doing, the uh, World Bank? We haven't touched much on that. And You, you obviously worked at the IMF. Uh, and, and understand the institution. Uh, should they be doing more in this space?
3: Yeah, I don't think at this t- time the IMF can do much. I think it would be more on the day after. Uh, but I do believe that the region can do more. Uh, we have seen uh, some changes over the few last few years uh, in some countries. I know specifically the case of Mexico, where it moved from uh, being somewhat silent on the topic to be uh, very vocal and very... Uh, uh, proactive to to point out the, the the flaws and the danger of the Maduro regime. So we need countries all over the world, uh, definitely those in, in in Latin America, to engage as as Moisés said, from a diplomatic uh, pressure perspective. Uh, the sanctions regime, uh, if if there can't be a consensus on the more general. Uh, uh, sanctions, uh, but there can be, perhaps, in the targeted designations which go against specific persons, perhaps that's 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 a, 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 an, an area where where the U.S. Uh, authorities and other interested uh, countries could 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 start working more aggressively. Uh, and the other thing is is perhaps just to be more aggressive in general in publicizing what's happening in Venezuela. Because although many people have uh, an understanding that there's something bad going on, there are no uh, real details. So I think it has to be publicized better uh, and and in more detail. Uh, And the the other thing last... uh, Touching on, on the importance of making public the information on the assets that have been identified in the US or, or in other jurisdictions. It's not only important for, for, for engaging other nations in this program, but it's also important for the Venezuelan people because uh, there's a lot of uh, discussion of whether their officials are corrupt or not. As long as there's no hard data, there will be no way to say uh, yes, they are corrupt and here. Are the are, is the evidence. So the evidence is needed also for the internal struggle and to make it clear internally in Venezuela, among the Venezuelan people, that the Maduro regime is corrupt with no doubt.
0: And one, one idea we've talked about before and we talked about at the, la- at the last roundtable we, we hosted here at CSIS is the idea of even establishing a regional asset recovery fund held in as an escrow account if you will for all of the recovered assets that begins to not only give an accounting for the amount of corruption and pilfered assets coming out of venezuela but also puts the onus on the on countries in the region to contribute if you will to to move their seized assets into that fund and a demonstration to the venezuelan people of the not just the corruption that's happened but what will come the day after, right? What will be held in their account, if you will, uh, and what will be transferred afterward. And frankly, will be needed to help reconstruct the economy. So that's, I think, something that the region probably can and should do. Maybe the World Bank could even do that. They've done that in a Central Asian context before. And the STAR Initiative is uh, well-versed in how to do asset recovery. so there's maybe a a preemptive asset recovery venture here that could be uh, launched. Dave, just give you a final word on where you see the sanctions regime going, and maybe even just a word on what this means and t- how it ties to Russia sanctions and even Cuba sanctions. We haven't talked enough, I think, about sort of the interrelation of the sanctions regimes and how the different programs kind of uh, relate to each other and learn from each other. What do you think? Um,
2: so thanks, Juan. So, look, I mean, it's my hope that, that this collaboration will bear fruit, uh, because I think it's a very important effort. And when you look at the the countries that are assembled, they have a lot of common interests in the illicit finance sphere. And it, you know I mean this collaboration on this problem could really lead to deeper collaboration on on other important problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that's a that's a very interesting thing to watch, and I hope that it'll it'll bear fruit. I mean with respect to with respect to the to the Russia program, I mean, there's a clear modeling of this program upon the Russia program. Uh, you know, I mean, interesting. L- Russia has been has been working with Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, as it resists the United States, really in all spheres, uh, and attempts to frustrate the United States in all spheres. Uh, but you know, I mean, clearly there was there there was there was learning that went on, um, and the, the usefulness of the of the debt and equity sanctions to to really extract a precise measure of pain. Uh, I think was a useful lesson. It was good to see. It was good to see the lessons learned in Russia applied to uh, applied to Venezuela. Um, you know, Cuba. I think is a is a is a little bit trickier a comparison because, it, you know, I mean that, that program was launched at a time when when we really, we really didn't know how to really didn't know how to use the tool, mm-hmm. uh, and it, you know we went in a we went in a comprehensive space and and nobody else came along with us, um, and we
0: weren't willing to really enforce it. In a sense of it, punishing others for right. not right. Well,
2: you know, I, I mean it, it, it put us in a challenging position where if we enforced it, we were immediately gonna run into a into a conflict into a conflict of law situation with some of our closest partners. Right. And we were gonna put US companies in an incredibly difficult position. Right. Uh, and really, you know, I, I mean put the credibility of the authority at in risk. question. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, at some point somebody was gonna have to was gonna have to acquiesce their position. Um and, you know, I don't think anybody was willing to go to the mat over, over Cuba sanctions in light of all of the other issues that we were working with with these, again, very close partners.
0: Well, great. This has been a great discussion. There's, there's no doubt we need to watch, obviously, the May 20th elections and see what happens on the ground in Caracas. We have to watch what comes out of the Treasury Department uh, with further targeted sanctions, further nuance on debt and equity restrictions maybe what comes out of the Department of Justice with more prosecutions and uh, civil and criminal forfeitures, and frankly, what comes out of the region in terms of a more aggressive approach in terms of isolating the Maduro regime and preparing for the day after. Um, I want to thank my colleagues here uh, on behalf of FinCast and 35 West. This has been a great discussion on Venezuela and the sanctions regime. Until next time, have a great day.